Good morning, everybody. How's everybody feeling? Let's, uh, if you make your way back. Oh, yeah, of course you can. God bless you. Good to see you. Let's stand back up. We'll pray. And we're going to venture into some uh, dangerous waters this morning. <laughs> Literally. All right. So, Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for your wonderful care and provision and blessing over our lives. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here. I invite you to anoint me and give me utterance today. Lord, I pray that what I say will be beneficial and profitable and helpful and healing. So help me out in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So uh, I've been getting great feedback on the stuff that I was doing with Elijah and the higher self. From all over the world, uh, it's been really good. Had a gentleman from the UK who's been a Christian since there was dinosaurs. No, <laughs> very seasoned, very seasoned elder statesman, truly an elder, an elder state. Excuse me, an elder statesman, uh, sort of an apostolic. Well, not sort of an apostolic person who speaks and has uh, input in a lot of different venues. And he wrote me and said he's been that the stuff on the higher self is the best stuff he's ever heard uh, and that he has to listen to it five or six times to get it. Uh, so it's, yeah, so it's, <laughs> yeah, so it's been a great encouragement. But it is the Christmas season, so we're taking a break from that. And uh, I thought, you know, it's Christmas, we can stay away from controversy, right? But it's just in me. So, so here's the thing. So if you haven't figured this out yet, I just have a completely different view of things, and, and I can't help it. It's like when I, I just get these downloads or something from the Holy Spirit uh, that are I, I get cut against the, the paradigm of a lot of uh, most of evangelical Christianity and a lot of Western Christianity. Uh, but let me say this at, at the outset. You know the word religion... We give it a bad uh, term. We say, well, I'm not religious, you know. And I remember, you know, this is since I was serving God, you know. They would say, well, I'm not religious or, you know, knowing God is not about religion. It's about a relationship. Uh, or we try to use the term spirituality now instead of religion because religions become one of those emotionally loaded terms that has a lot of negative uh emotions and values and connotations in people's mind. Yes? yes? But the original, the word itself, simply means devotion. Devotion to God or devotion to uh, a belief system or a philosophy. So to be religious in the truest sense is to be devoted. Make sense? So there is, and the, and the root of the word in Latin, means to bind to something, to bind to something. So if you think about it, if you're devoted to something, you're, you're binding yourself to it. You, you, can't, you can't be devoted to someone or something and not have a bind or an attachment. Let's use that word, not have an attachment there, right? So there is devotion attachment that is very, very healthy and necessary for us as human beings. And there, but, but there are times that our attachments can become binding and not healthy for us. Right? So in that sense, there is healthy religion and there is 
unhealthy religion or toxic. There's healthy faith and there's toxic faith, right? So one of the things that should be healthy for us about our religion is we should be able to find within it a sense of community, which is important. It's important to have community and relationships and support, right? We should be able to find identity within that community, and we should be able to find a sense of purpose. So our belief system, our religion, our devotion should be providing those things for us. Community, so that there's support. Identity, so that we know who we are and we're coming from a solid place. And a sense of purpose, so that we have meaning for our lives, right? But there's a shadow side to all those things. So what can happen to us is that community becomes exclusivity. Instead of being an open-door community, if you will, we become a closed-door community, and identity can become egotistic. And purpose can become twisted. So the healthy sense is, I've got people around me who are supporting me, I've got an identity of myself, as uh, that, that, that is supporting me and upholding me and helping me in my life, and I have a sense of purpose that gives me drive and motivation in a healthy, positive way. The shadow side of that is I have a community, and I begin to think that anyone who doesn't think like me or who is outside of my community must somehow be evil or wrong or need to be avoided or need to be rebuked or need to be corrected, because if you're not like us, you're all going to hell. (laughs) That's toxic. Right? Uh, The identity is can become confused with the belief system. And boy, if this isn't where the evangelical church is today. It's not built on intimacy with God. It's built on a doctrinal belief statement, and you have to check all the boxes. And if you don't check all the boxes, <laughs> then you're not identified with them anymore. Yeah, Identity has nothing to do with relationship. Identity has to do with whether or not you've checked the boxes. And if you don't check the boxes, we're going to withdraw our relationship with you because we've confused our identity with our belief system. And here's what happens when you confuse your identity with your belief system. You become so locked in that there's you, you, you rob yourself of the possibility of growth and change. Because after all, if, if I am who I believe, and if my community is dependent upon me to believe like them in order to be part of their community, then I don't dare change that belief because I'd be sacrificing my community and my identity. And then, of course, the third thing is purpose. Unfortunately, if... If my belief system is what identifies me with the community, and the sense of community becomes exclusivity, so that we support ourselves because we're not like them, and it becomes this sort of us-against-them kind of thing, and you change a belief, and now no longer are you one of us, 
but you've become one of them. Then our purpose is to make sure we preserve and protect ourselves and attack those that are not like ourselves. So we sit in judgment and we become the propagators of hate. So healthy community is, healthy religion, healthy devotion is, I have a sense of community without needing conformity. See, over here, community is based on conformity, and conformity is based on a belief system. Healthy community is, I can have community and support that gives me room and space to grow because there's genuine love, and the basis of the relationship is not a doctrinal statement. Thank you. So there's space. Got it? Now my identity can become expansive. Because I'm free to change and grow and I'm free to make mistakes. You hearing me? And then my purpose, see if I'm experiencing that kind of love and that kind of nurture and that kind of freedom and ability to grow, then my purpose can become that which also becomes expansive and includes people who don't think like me. Who I can love and nurture and support without first demanding conformity. Because over here, you demand conformity, and if it's not like you, then there's hate and vitriol and and rebuke and correction and all this stuff. Whereas over here, there is a security that says, I can listen to you and learn from you without having to become like you in all ways. So I can be a devoted Christian who loves God, who has a community of other devoted Christians, and yet understand that the Christian faith itself, even from a historic perspective, has a lot of breathing room. Because at the foundation of Christianity, God is a mystery. Are you breathing? (laughs) So therefore, there is freedom to explore the mystery of who God is. Without the demand that I keep God in His box and check all the boxes over here. Right? So I can be a Christian who's exploring the mysteries of God, who's feeling support, who can identify as a follower of Jesus, who can identify as a child of God, and yet, in my sense of purpose, be open to a broader community and can share ideas with, let's say, a... I don't want to get you that emotionally triggered... I was going to say Muslim, but with a Buddhist and find common ground without becoming a Buddhist. 
Because if I do that, then my community is once again dictated to me by my beliefs. And I've moved out of healthy devotion and I've moved over into the realm of toxic devotion. You see it? Somebody must need to hear this because this was not my message and I hope to get to it because it's really good. (laughs) And so we have to look. Okay, yeah, so it's perfect, 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 perfect. Come with me now to the scriptures. Matthew chapter 1. We're looking at Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1. And I guess I said all that to say that I'm not going to be checking the boxes for you this morning. But I'm going to be inviting you to become more expansive. Is that okay? Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. This is important. After... His mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Notice his characteristics. He is just. <laughs> he does not want her in the public. She does not, he does not want her as a public example. And so, therefore, he is minded... To put her away, what? Secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, notice it was in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I'll just give you the address there. Behold the virgin, everybody say with me, virgin. Uh, Behold the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being roused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Now come with me to Luke's account of this. Luke chapter 1. Where are you, Luke? (laughs) I can't find him. Luke chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, notice it's the sixth month. Six is the number of man. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. 
All right. <clears throat> Look at my audience for a minute. Let's just, can we just step back and talk about sex for a moment? <laughs> and somebody, I thought somebody might say, hey, I'm glad I came to church. <laughs> yeah, y'all. It, it's, it's important because here's what I want you to see. In most ancient traditions and religions, human sexuality is something very sacred and celebrated. In the Christian world in the West, since Augustine, that has not been the case. Part of the reason, there's two reasons. I mean, obviously, if, if you think about it, everything in creation can only renew and multiply itself through the reproductive process. Which means it is what gives life. Just gonna let that sink in for a moment. It is the life-giving force and the life-giving power. It is the power that renews the earth generation after generation. But a lot of species, their sexuality is strictly procreation. But humanity also has ecstasy and pleasure attached to it, right? So its only purpose is not for life. So here's how people would look at that. They would say that the sexual drive, the sexual urge, and the sexual act is life-giving and rapturous and therefore incredibly sacred and spiritual, including the Jewish tradition. Because here's what you may not know. Part of celebrating the Sabbath as a married couple was that you had to engage in the sex act on the Sabbath. And it was believed that when a husband and wife came together, that Shekinah, we say Shekinah, but it's actually Shekinah, which is the feminine aspect within Judaism of the presence of God, but it's also the glory of God that gets manifested on the earth that the Shekinah would overshadow. And in fact, it's only possible to procreate if Shekinah is there. It's only possible to procreate if Shekinah, or the power of the highest, overshadows the couple during the sex act. In Christian tradition, thanks to Augustine, because Augustine had problems with his sexual urges. Just read, well, you don't have to, but he, he wrote a book about it. And he was also uh, a Gnostic. And if you remember, the Gnostics believed, he was a Neoplatonist, and the Neoplatonists believed that everything physical and material was evil. So he transfers that into his belief system, and he adopts and solidifies within the Western culture the belief in what's called original sin. And so here's the idea that Adam and Eve 
sinned and obtained a sin nature that now is passed on through the man's seed during the sex act. So that the sex act becomes fallen and that which transmits rebellion and corruption and death rather than what in the Hebraic roots of the faith was sacred and holy and brought the presence of God. Why am I talking about this? Are, are you breathing? The reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is because then your creeds, your church creeds were established. And it says, you know, I believe in one God, maker of heaven and earth, all things visible and invisible. These were the creeds. This was more important than the Bible until the Reformation. This is what made you a Christian was the creeds. If you believed it. If you believed the creed, you'd be baptized. You were a Christian. So I believe in one God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Virgin Mary. Now, let me ask you a question. Why is it important for Christians to believe that Jesus was conceived of, or, or born, I'm sorry, born of the Virgin Mary? Why, why is that so important that it gets in the creeds? And here's why I bring up the question. The Apostle Paul, who was the first to write and propagate Christianity, I'm not saying the disciples didn't do it, but I'm just saying the first writings, the earliest writings that we have, and the one who propagated it outside of the Jewish tradition was Paul the Apostle, and he never mentions in any of his writings that Jesus was born of a virgin. John, in his writings, never mentions that Jesus was born of a virgin. Mark, the oldest of the Gospels that we have, never mentions that Jesus was a virgin. There is no sermon in the book of Acts that Jesus was a virgin. Sorry, that Mary, that Jesus was born of a virgin. Oh, help me, Lord. Yeah, I'm glad I caught that mistake, too. There's no sermon in the book of Acts when they're preaching the Gospel that said that Jesus was born of a virgin. It's not a part of the preaching of the gospel in the Bible. So why does it become so important in the creed? Now here's where it becomes even more pro- problematic. Are you, are you ready, saints? Here's where it becomes even more problematic for us. <clears throat> the reason it got into the creeds was because the idea of original sin... You know why Constantine, you know why the emperor, it wasn't Constantine at this time, I don't think, I don't know, I don't remember. You know why the emperor wanted the doctrine of original sin to become part of the church? Because the only way to get out of hell was for a state-sponsored priest to baptize you as a child. That's where infant baptism comes from. So it was a way for you to be born into the state regardless of your nationality in order to expand political control. Therefore, Jesus could not be the Savior if he was not born of a virgin from that perspective. <laughs> all right, so here's the problem with it. Here's, here's it. I said all that to say this because people get triggered when I'm going to do what I'm about to do with the scriptures because they, they, they think I'm twisting them or reading into them or making them say something that they're not saying. 
uh, this this prophecy of Jesus comes out of Isaiah chapter seven verse fourteen. And here's your problem. In the original language, it says a young woman will conceive. There is a Hebrew word for virgin that is used in the law when it's discussing all of the purity rites and rituals and whatever around a woman and her virginity and marriage. And it is a completely different Hebrew word. Nobody will tell you that. The prophecy is to King Ahaz, who is being attacked by the southern kingdoms. So Israel is, the the, the Hebraic nation, the tribes, are in the midst of a civil war. And the south is coming up against the, the north. And Isaiah is prophesying to the king of Judah, and he says, God will triumph over your enemies, and this will be a sign to you, King Ahaz. In fact, he even tells King Ahaz... Ask me for a sign. God said that. God's telling you, ask me for a sign. And he says, I will not put the Lord God to the test. And Isaiah responds, nevertheless, a sign will be given to you. A young woman shall conceive and give birth to a child. And she will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And before he's old enough to know good from evil, see, we don't read the whole prophecy, before he's old enough to know good from evil, certain events will transpire within the nations. Do we need to look at it or you you can go home, I'll give you homework, go home and look at it. This is why Jewish people don't just convert to Jesus. I remember when, when I was becoming a Christian, I listened to Josh McDowell a lot. And Josh McDowell did this thing where he took all of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, all the messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, and then did, ran a statistical probability of it and said the statistical probability that one man can fulfill all the prophecies was if you took this, the entire state of Texas and you filled it like knee-deep in silver dollars. Any of you ever heard this? And you mark one silver dollar and you drop it in the state of Texas and somebody just randomly picks a spot and reaches down and picks up that silver dollar, that's the same statistical probability that one person can fulfill all of the messianic prophecies. And we think, oh, that's great. And we use it in our apologetics and all that kind of stuff. But here's our problem. Most of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled weren't directly initially about Jesus. See, here's what fundamentalists do. Here's what my Christian friends that that disagree with me tell me. They say, Aaron, you take the scriptures out of context. Here's the rules of biblical interpretation. You take the literal interpretation unless it absolutely doesn't make sense. So, for example, when the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, obviously. David is not speaking literally. So you can't take it literally. But everywhere else you take it literally. Right? Rule number one. Rule number two is you put everything in its context. Con- I mean, if I had one thing drilled into me in Bible school, it was this. Context, context, context. Here's our problem. None of your New Testament writers followed any of those rules. 
And this is an example of that. And there was silence in Pueblo West for the space of heaven. If you don't know, that's from the book of Revelation. There was silence in heaven for the... Let me give you an example. When John, when Jesus is dying on the cross and they go to break his bones, right, break his legs because it's the Sabbath and they want him to die and so they would break their legs so that they would suffocate and die faster and Jesus is already dead and it goes and they don't break his legs and it says that it might be fulfilled, none of his bones were broken. Do you know what that's a prophecy about? You know where that verse in the scripture is? It's not even a prophecy. That none of the bones will be broken? It's not even a prophecy. It's talking about the Passover lamb. And John's intention is to show you that Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So therefore he points back at that verse, pulls it completely out of its context, makes it prophetic when it's not prophetic, it's historical, and applies it to Jesus. Or how about this one? When Matthew says that Jesus comes up out of Egypt as a, as a child, that it might be fulfilled, behold, my son shall come up out of Egypt. Right? That's a verse that's speaking about the Exodus. So if I take it literally, we're talking about the Passover lamb. If I take it context, 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 we're talking about... Moses and the Exodus and the Passover lamb. If I take the verse about Jesus being the son who comes up out of Egypt, if I look at it in its context, it's talking about the nation of Israel being identified as God's son coming up out of Egypt, which is another lie that Christians like to tell, that God is never called father in the Old Testament. Not true. Yeah, this is going over great. I haven't even got to my message. I guess I'll get to it next time. See, here's what the Christian writers did. They did not go to the scriptures to discover who Jesus was. They lived with Jesus. They heard his teachings. And he was raised from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead, it got their attention. And they went back to the... They took Jesus... And went back to the scriptures to understand the scriptures. They did not go to the scriptures to understand who Jesus was. You, you got it? So they took all kinds of stuff and took it out of context and twisted it and misapplied it to make it apply to Jesus. And then gave you scriptures so that you could come to know him. Not as a historical figure, but as the presence of God, Emmanuel, within yourself. Surely the guys who aren't taking scripture literally, they're taking it spiritually and pulling it out of context and making it apply to things that it couldn't possibly apply to. We're not intending for you to take their writing and make it totally literal and keep it totally within its context. This is one of those examples. Isaiah 7.14 where they did that. Because 
in order for that statement to be true, a sign shall be given to you, King Ahaz. A child will be born and called this name, and before he's old enough to know good from evil, these national events will occur. And guess what? You read about the fulfillment in Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah was speaking of one of his own children. Are you breathing? (laughs) They've taken away my Lord. Now they took away my Christmas story. (laughs) Here's my point. If it was a well-known messianic prophecy that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, Joseph would have never been... Joseph was of the house of David... The messianic expectations were at an all-time high, and if he knew his wife was pregnant of a virgin, he would have put her on display, not sought to put her away secretly, because everybody would have known, hey, we're waiting for Messiah to be born of a virgin. It was never a messianic prophecy. And there was silence in Pablo West for... Because <laughs> here's the point. We've got to look deeper into the story than just trying to prove. Listen, the, the Gospels are written to people who already believe. They're not trying to prove who Jesus is, that he filled, fulfilled this and fulfilled this and fulfilled this. The purpose of it is, yes, so you can understand who Jesus is. Yes, so you can know about his life and all that stuff. But here's, here's the real truth of the matter. It's written to open up yourself to yourself so that you can experience God in a mystical way. So watch this. I'll just do this very quickly for you. Ah, let me, no, let me do this. So, so this this whole concept of of sexuality and the power of the highest and all of that coming over Mary is really really important because toxic religion says you just belong to a belief system. You belong to a belief system, and as long as you adhere to it, you have community and you have purpose, and it becomes us against them. Nowhere did Jesus ever say, check the boxes and follow me and you're good. Did he ever say that? Did he, did he ever hand out a statement of faith? You have anywhere in the Bible where he did an altar call and said, come down and pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus. Please forgive me, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me, I'm a sinner. Would you please come into my heart? Would you please come into my heart? Is that anywhere in the Bible? It's not in your Bible. Because the main point wasn't to get you to check boxes in your thinking and beliefs to spare you an eternity in hell. Watch this. Matthew 7, I'll just quote it for you real quick. Scary verse. Jesus, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. Can I tell you the word no there is the word for sexual intercourse? It's not the word for I I never got acquainted with you. The idea was I never, there was never intercourse. There was never an exchange of life. 
that took place from me inside of you. Therefore, it's impossible for you to enter the kingdom because you don't enter the kingdom by checking off boxes and going into orthodoxy or unorthodoxy. You don't enter the kingdom because you're part of a community. You don't enter the kingdom because you have an identity that has been created to you by, or given to you by the community to whom you belong. And you don't enter the kingdom just because you have a purpose. You enter the kingdom when the life of God has entered in on the inside of you. And then there is a knowing and a union and a joining between you and Him that brings forth life. And that's what it's about. And that's what He's after. And you can't have that if you're not experiencing Him. And you can't have that if He's just a historical figure that walked and lived 2,000 years ago. And we want to argue about prophecies and, and, and silver dollars in Texas and all this stuff to convince your mind. And your mind can be totally convinced. And yet you can be completely barren of the life of God so that there is no God with us or God among you or presence of God or Shekinah or anything like that that is fruitfulness or life-giving and that brings us back to Joseph and Mary. Because Joseph's name means fruitfulness. And Joseph is the most exemplary character in the Bible. In the Old Testament. Moses murdered somebody, tried to cover it up, was a fugitive. Moses had a temper problem. Moses got mad at the Israelites and struck the rock, and God said, I told you not to strike the rock. That anger is going to keep you out of the promised land. David committed adultery, had a baby, then tried to cover it up, then had one of his faithful, loyal soldiers murdered, and Joseph passed every single Test. In your scripture, Joseph is put on public display, not Joseph the father of Jesus, Joseph in the Bible, the patriarch. He did everything right. Everything. And Joseph here is a just man, but he's fruitful. Got it? Guess what Mary's name means? Mary's name means comes from the Hebrew word Mara, and it means bitter, and it means rebel. So Joseph represents fruitfulness and justice, and Mary represents bitterness and rebellion. And in the story, the two have not been joined together. They're, they're engaged to each other, but they have not yet come together. And Joseph, being a just man, is mindful to put Mary away secretly. Because it represents two parts of yourself. It represents the part of yourself that wants justice, the part of yourself that wants to do right, the part of yourself that wants to put the best public face out there for everybody. And the problem in most people is in their psyche. It represents the conscious mind. Mary also is a word where we get maritime, marine, deep waters. So Mary represents the darker, deeper sides of our consciousness 
where our pain, our bitterness, and our rebellion resides. And that's why the Joseph in our life wants to put her away secretly. And so what is it that Joseph needs to hear? Joseph what Mary is carrying inside her is something that has been conceived of the Holy Spirit and has God in it and watch this when he's born you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save us from our sins Uh, I don't think you heard it Joseph has no problems. Joseph's problem is he's a little judgmental. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe he has no problems. He's fruitful, but he can't be fruitful. Watch this. Here's where it's important. He can't be fruitful without the feminine part. Okay, I'm going to throw this out here just because I want to. What if the prohibitions in Scripture against homosexuality has less to do with sexual preference and has more to do on a spiritual level with the inability to be reproductive and fruitful and give life? Because see, the thing about Mary, even though Mary, even though that darker side of us is hurting, even though that darker side of us is rebellious, and, and the only reason I'm saying darker is because we put it in the shadow. We don't want people to see it. We don't want the light to shine on it. You got it? What if that's the receptive part of you? What if that's the part of you, in fact, that is the most receptive to Shekinah. And what if you can't be fruitful until the public just side of you can come together and join together with all the parts of you that you've been hiding and denying and don't like? What if toxic religious community is that which is just and wants to put Mary away secretly? And healthy religious community is that which is able to honor Mary and realize that she's carrying the seed of life and she's carrying God in the center of her emptiness. And that's where she's going to find him. And when she does, his name will be Jesus and he will save her from her sins. And the parts of you can come together so that you find an identity stronger than you ever had before. And what if through that process there is a birthing of compassion that says, I don't have to be so protective of my belief system that I close my heart off to the Marys of the world or to those that aren't like me.
or maybe even those that I despise. And what if your greatest rate receptivity to the Holy Spirit is the depths of your pain? What if the greatest receptivity to the Savior is the strengths of your rebellion? What if in the midst of that part of you, in the midst of that dark part of you, there is a womb, there is an empty space, there is a space created for the divine presence that does not come by way of a man. See, that's our problem. That's our problem. Over here, there's some power broker, some man, some woman. It's typically a man. I mean, it's, pat- it's patriarchal. Women, you can't, you, you can't do much. We want you to go have your little parties and have potlucks and teach the kids. Do your women's thing. That's it. We're putting Mary away. There's no room for her on our end. You see it? <laughs> Sad. And so there is some man who says, this is what you're supposed to believe. This is how you know God. This is right and wrong. You got it? I'm Joseph. I'm the fruitful one. I'm the just one. Toe the line or you're out. But Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. Which means the only way that Mary becomes honored. See, God shows up, what if it's like this? What if God shows up to your broken, wounded parts and said, you're blessed and highly favored? You found favor with God. What if God shows up to your most rebellious part and says, you're blessed and highly favored and you found favor with God and the power of the highest is going to come over you? Isn't that good news? Isn't that gospel? And what if Mary has to be a virgin because this isn't something you can get from reading a book and this isn't something you can get from listening to a message and this isn't something you can get because somebody told you how to believe and how to behave. This is something you can only get in the depths of your soul when you open up the fullness of who you are for healing and impregnation of the life of God and you have an encounter with that which is holy and you have an encounter with the Shekinah and you have an encounter with the presence of the Holy Spirit and he plants something inside you so that now you're carrying in the depths of your pain in the depths of your rebellion you're carrying you are you are nurturing you are incubating the seed of your own deliverance and then the fruitful part of you can join to that feminine part of you the conscious mind can join to the subconscious mind that which behaves and follows the rules can join with that that doesn't want to behave and doesn't want to follow the rules that which is 
healed and whole and has a good public image can join with that which is hurting and broken and we want to keep it in the dark and in the shadows and we join together and our identity becomes whole and we become stable and the life of God can come forth and fruitfulness can come forth and salvation can come forth and there is a compassion that is born in us that says even if you're not like us I don't know what your Mary is like I don't know what your struggles are like I don't know what your pain is or your problem is but I refuse to condemn you as evil I refuse to say that God is going to condemn you as evil but I'm going to be like Gabriel a messenger of good news and I'm going to be able to show up to the Mary in your life and say you are blessed and you are highly favored and God is with you and the power of the highest is going to come over you and that which is going to be conceived in you is holy and it will bring forth salvation from that which falls short and these are glad tidings of great joy which shall be to all people Buddhist and Muslim and New Age and Wicca and how in the world can we reach them if we disrespect them and dishonor them? We can't even respect and honor one another. How can we reach those outside our circle who we think are so demonic and evil and unclean and tainted that somehow if we come within even a proximity of a witch, we're going to pick up some demon and be cursed? But see, if your seed comes through a man and not through a virgin process, then we don't want you out there fraternizing with that other stuff. Because their seed may get in you. And then you're a harlot. A spiritual harlot. Someone else. You've been lying with someone else. I have heard this preached on TBN. You have a spiritual father, and it's a man, an apostle somewhere. And if you're not faithful to the church, and you're going out somewhere else, then you're lying under something else, and you're a harlot. Some of you have heard it. There's a system of demonic control. And it rips families apart, and it rips people apart, and it alienates community, and it divides politically. And it's toxic faith, and it causes anxiety disorders, and depression, and brokenness in the soul, and all we keep doing is putting Mary away publicly. Putting her away from the public, I mean, being kept kept out of the public eye. And then we're shocked, horrified, when there's scandals. Because when Mary gets exposed, oh, we're going to kill her. I sure love you guys. <laughs> I'm just amazed that anybody comes and listens to me at all. So. Does this help you? We'll, we'll do some more with this on if you come the 23rd or whatever. Because I'm not preaching next week, I don't think, right? Let's stand up. You have to have your own experience with God in order for there to be life that comes forth. You have to have your own experience. Let's just honor the presence of the Lord. 
thank you, Lord, for that concept of Emmanuel, of God with us. Father, we want to open wide the caverns of our soul. No longer afraid to go into the deepest, darkest places of our own inner being because it's in that place that we can find Shekinah. It's that place we can find healing and salvation and deliverance and freedom. And that's good news. And so, Lord, we open ourselves to you and we ask that you would come, that you would heal and honor the Mary inside of us. Why don't you just go inside right now and those parts of you that are hurting, those parts of you that you've hated all these years, I hate my temper, I hate that anxiety, I hate that depression. <laughs> That's <laughs> Whatever it is, I hate that urge that I have, I hate that compulsion that I give into, I hate that addiction, whatever it is. So go inside in that place, because that's your Mary. And would you just whisper to that part of you, would you just whisper to that part of you this morning and say, I've got good news. You have found favor with God. You are blessed and highly favored. And God is with you. And the Shekinah, which is the feminine presence, the nurturing, soft, gentle presence of God is going to overshadow you. (laughs) And the power of the highest is going to put a seed of life and deliverance inside of you. And that's your Christmas story. That's your virgin birth. And it's good news. God bless you, saints. I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope we become a place that has healthy community, provides people a place to find identity with space to grow and change, and that we can find our purpose to be an open-door community that keeps our hearts open to people in their fallenness and their brokenness and people that aren't like us. That's my desire. And I know it's yours as well. God bless you. Have a great week. Get your Christmas shopping done.